thing downstairs, uh, how many go. And just a reminder, uh, parents, if you can at least send one parent down with your kids, we're finding that kids are not making their way downstairs on their own. It's really not safe for them to do that. So one parent, at least per family, help them down there. But we would like to uh, expand our parent room, which has been great through a pandemic and things where parents can watch the, the service on a TV downstairs and be together and their kids can kind of run around in a space that's good for them. Um, but we'd really love to add a nursery component to that. While there's still space for parents to, to, to be with their kids, we'd love to give care to uh, the, the kids under two where parents would like to be up, up in the service. So we need some people to volunteer for that. So if you've served in the nursery in the past or you'd like to do that, please contact the church office. We'll help you know what you need to do to do that and it'd be a great uh, service to our young parents who, uh, uh, if you're a parent and you've been through the baby phase, you know what it's like. And so it might just be a nice time of the week for them to come in and uh, be a part of the church family in a way where they're not dealing with crackers, sippy cups, and snotty noses. So that'd be great. Um, everyone sitting here watching online this morning um, has had some point of time where you've had an unmet expectation, where you have expected something to happen and it didn't quite work out the way you thought. Sometimes it's simple as, a, you know, the timing of a text message or something like that. Um, sometimes it's at work, you thought something would happen, you know, been working towards something and it, it didn't work out. Sometimes it's in relationship um, where, you know, you, you thought someone would respond to you a certain way or, or something. We all have these expectations that we have and something goes amiss at some point. And the reality is because of unmet expectations in extreme cases, um, Marriages end, churches split, employees leave, families get fractured because of unmet expectations that just, that problem just grows and grows and grows into this just big thing that gets between people and oftentimes it's, it's unreconcilable. And so today I want to look at these unmet expectations in our lives. You know, King David, so greatest king Israel ever had, he had unmet expectations. After all he went through, God walking with him towards the end of his life, he desired to build a temple for God. He said, you know, why should I be in the palace and my kingdom is established and God's been with me and God and his ark, like, like we still meet with him in this tent, this tent of meeting. Let's build a temple. And God said, that's not for you. He had this hope and this expectation to do this great thing, to, to, to pour back to God what God had poured into him. And God says, not, not for you to do. So he didn't freak out at that or anything. He, he accepted that. He was able to handle that. But it was a disappointment and an unmet expectation. How about you? you know, think about your week, your month, like this season of life. Have you had some unmet expectations? Maybe in your family? Maybe in your place of employment? Uh, maybe with your, you know people who live around you, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's at school, something that you wish would happen. What unmet expectation, it just kind of eating away at you. Um, want to learn today a little bit better how to handle unmet expectations. So we know what to do with this. And the hope is by learning how to handle unmet expectations, we can learn to set some more realistic expectations. And as I've done this whole um, playing well with others, uh, sermon series, I always make this disclaimer every message. I'm not grabbing a bunch of psychological teaching and good stuff, which is good stuff, and then trying to overlay it over the Bible and trying to, you know, proof text this thing so it, it has its place in church. 
Actually, what we want to do is look to the Bible, to principles that arise there, to things we see in people's lives that have been echoed and mimicked in good and healthy habits and counseling and relational uh, dynamics and see if we can find some things. And, and today, uh, after we look primarily at um, a narrative from the Old Testament, I'm going to take that and draw out some other principles that I've learned from things like emotionally healthy relationships. And even, it even has some basis in Ten Commandments. Don't bear false witness. Because when you uh, hold to or um, you know, live inside a lie or a false reality, things get off track really quick. God wants us to be honest and truthful and live in truth. Why, why is this important to know how to deal with these unmet expectations? Well, the assumptions we make and the stories we tell ourselves, that's the reality we live in. And if we live in this reality and we behave in a certain way as if that's true and it's not, man, it ruins relationships. It wrecks, wrecks things all throughout. Where we, we, we hold this thing and we assume the other person had done this thing or that thing towards us. And so it's important we can, you know, understand some of these things. Give me an example. We have these expectations sometimes we don't even know. I um, heard an example of that this week where you go to a, like a Christmas gift exchange and you bring like a 50 or $100 gift card and, and you put it in the, the pile, right? And you pull out of the pile a $5 mug, and you realize in that moment you had an expectation for what that gift exchange would be like and how people would contribute to that that you didn't know you had before. So we have these unmet expectations. And we're going to look at a narrative in the Old Testament beginning in uh, Genesis 25, or primarily looking at Genesis 29, and it involves Jacob. So Jacob is the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham. Abraham, through whom God promised to bless all people. The nation of Israel would come through Abraham. The new covenant, the new way to God would come through Abraham's family. And Jacob is really important. In fact, when you read the rest of the Old Testament, when people talk about what God they serve, they say, I serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is an important character in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at a particular narrative in his life where he had some unmet expectations. But before we get into that, there are some roadblocks that we're going to hit. Roadblocks of our culture versus that culture. And if we take our assumptions, our expectations, our understanding of our culture, and lay it over top of that culture, we're going to have some real problems understanding. Some roadblocks that we'll put up and probably not even dig deep enough to see the... Um, the principles underneath. And so um, we can't do that. We can't overlay our values. That was a different time, a different culture. So the first thing we need to understand when we read the Old Testament, not everything that's descriptive is prescriptive. Sometimes the Bible is simply telling us how it happened and not saying that what happened is all good. <laughs> like Because this thing happened in this person's life, God must be saying, Hey, you go and do likewise. And there's lots of the Bible that's just not the case. We're getting the context for how people live their life and to see how they followed God in it. So one of the first roadblocks is the whole idea of uh, marrying a cousin. <laughs> Everyone's like, huh, <laughs> what? So uh, Jacob is going to marry his cousin, his mother's brother's daughter. You may not have known that. 
Jacob and Rachel were first cousins. Now, we, we'll go, oh my goodness, like how? God, why would you do that? Uh, think gene pool, way deeper gene pool. Like, we, there wasn't the concern with all that. But here's what you may not know. Okay, the Bible doesn't speak against marrying your cousin. There's lots of prohibitions against your, your mother, or your brother, your sister, immediate family. Did you know, and I learned this, I learned this when I became ordained, and I could perform weddings, and I looked at the Ontario law of who could marry who. It's permissible for first cousins to marry in Ontario and in Canada. Did you know that? Bet you didn't know that, because in our society, we kind of have this, like, that's weird, right? But we're a different culture. We're a different society. And what you need to understand about early in the world, remember, this is in Genesis. This is within the first few generations. Even though it's hundreds of years they lived, then in comparison to us, uh, they were a different culture, different society. It was pretty brutal. And so what you were trying to do is build your family and clan to a space that you were safe and secure your family business. Uh, the cultures around had very different religious, uh, societal, cultural practices, some of them very uh, dark and demonic. And so to marry within your extended family and build yourself land and safety and prosperity and numbers and all of those things was all a part of what that era was about. And so it was not uncommon. In fact, it was beneficial to try and marry within your clan, tribe, extended family. Because oftentimes if you marry outside, it's the expectation and the common practice to adopt the practices, the business. There's a, there's a uniting. There's a, you, know, you now have an official agreement between families. And sometimes that's just not what you want. So we're going to have to get past that. Secondly, multiple wives. Okay, so there's handfuls of people in, in the Bible who had multiple wives. It's never spoken of as a positive thing. It's never encouraged. In fact, by New Testament times, you don't see it. Like, you just don't see it. And it seemed to be one of those things that God does with humanity once in a while where he permits something. You know, he, he, he speaks against it. He warns against it. Every time we see it, there's a problem, and we'll see it today as well. So it's not one of those things that the Bible is actively encouraging. It's just a reality of that culture of that time, and God just seems to permit it at times, but warns against it. The third thing is paying for a bride, all right? So Jacob's going to pay for his bride. He's going to work to pay for his bride. And an initial reading, we could go, oh, man, the patriarchy and this, you know, woman is just no better than an ox, and they make this agreement, and he's paying. That's actually not the way it went down at all. The idea of a dowry or a bride price actually carried with it great honor. And if you think of the culture of the time where families, like, they had to work to survive. It's not like our families where, like, oh, I wish my adult kid would, you know, get a job and whatever. All that kind of stuff. Everyone contributed. You had to. And the loss of a significant family member out of your family business, out of your homestead, your farm, out of that was a significant loss. Think of it in terms like this. You own a business. You're, the, you're the, the president, the owner, and you have a few, maybe two or three chief executive officers who run a whole lot, and if one of them were to leave, it would leave a giant gap. 
you wouldn't know where to hire or how to find someone who would just fill that hole. And in the, the case of Laban, who is Jacob's uncle, his family has two daughters, Leah, I don't know how you pronounce it, if it's Leah or Leah, I'm going to go with the Star Wars thing, Leah, Leah and Rachel, and so the loss of one daughter in a small family, that's a great deal. And so in the culture, the man would give a dowry or a bride price to the other family to recognize, first of all, the honor, the value, what a loss this was, and to prove himself uh, able to care for, take care of this, this woman as much as the father would. Women didn't primarily have jobs, they didn't have status, all that stuff. Jesus changed all that. But in Old Testament times, for Jacob to offer something was a matter of honor. It showed how much he loved Rachel. Think of it this way, okay? My son-in-law, okay, Alex, he came to us and asked for our daughter Alyssa's hand in marriage. We thought that was a great, respectful thing to do. I did the same thing with my father-in-law. It's not as common for everyone, but I think every dad appreciates that, wants to know that there's an asking and that there's an honor. And what a dad is looking for in a son-in-law is someone who's going to care for his daughter, his little girl, in a good way. And so think of, think of the difference of a young man who comes and says, I don't have a job, I'm not going to school, I have no plans, I have no money, and I'm marrying your daughter whether you like it or not. Or someone who says, you know what, I'm going through school, or I'm just working, I'm saving up, uh, I've shown you some of my character, I've, I've you know, treated your daughter well, I really appreciate your family, I would appreciate your blessing, I'd love to have your blessing to get married. I'll care for it. I may not have everything together, but here's the path I'm on to provide for and, and be the kind of man that she deserves. Which are you choosing? Not much of a choice, is it? For Jacob to offer a bride price and to act honorably the way we'll see he did is a highly sought-after thing. And he was doing a very Christ-like thing in that. So we've got to get past this marrying cousin, marrying multiple women, and the whole idea of bride price, because this particular narrative had been picked to pieces before and missed the whole point. Missed the whole point. Different culture. And there's some good stuff in here. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can watch on the screen or turn in the Bible app. Uh, Genesis 29. And we're going to read from the message version uh, today, just because I think it gives a better scope and idea of the actual narrative. Verse 14 of Genesis 29. Laban said, so we're jumping into the narrative right away. Jacob has traveled. Um, he, he's been sent by his parents to find a wife from his extended family. He's traveled to you know, kind of a distant land. He's found his family, and he's noticed Rachel. So Laban says to him, you're my family, my flesh and blood. So when Jacob had been with him for a month, Laban said, just because you're my nephew, you shouldn't work for me for nothing. Tell me what you want to be paid. What's a fair wage? So Jacob shows up. He notices Rachel. He's with his family. And he just starts working on the farm. No expectation. He just, that's a good character. And Laban comes to him after a month and says, this, this isn't right. You may be my nephew, maybe family, and you're getting room and board, but you're working hard. You deserve, you know, you deserve some wages. H how much could I pay you? For your work. Both of them are being very honorable to one another. 
Verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. Leah was the older and Rachel the younger. Leah had nice eyes, but Rachel was stunningly beautiful. Okay, that's just... I don't think that's a comment on who's better. Who's, what it's trying to say is that Rachel caught Jacob's eye. He had a choice. He could choose whoever he wanted to marry. And when you men or women, when you see another person's family and they have siblings, you have a choice of which sibling you want to date. You're just naturally drawn to one other. At least you should be, okay? Shouldn't be trying to date multiple, all that kind of stuff. So Jacob, you know, really likes Rachel out of the two sisters. And it was Rachel that Jacob loved. So Jacob answered, I will work for you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. It's far better, said Laban, that I give her to you than marry some outsider, right? The culture, all this stuff, bring all that in. It's better we keep this here. You seem like a good man. You're within our family. I know what I'm getting into. Um, yes, stay here with me. So Jacob has nothing to give. He has no land. He has no herds, flocks, money. He hasn't made it anywhere in life. He's somewhere either late teens, early 20s likely. And he says, uh, your daughter's so valuable, I'm going to work seven years. Think of the amount of money that seven, if you were just getting room and board and made no money for yourself and all that went into an engagement ring. That's, that's a good ring. <laughs> that's a big ring. And that's what Jacob says. I'll do that. So he's got a fair wage. So Jacob worked. So they have this agreement. They agree on this, verse 20. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel. But it only seemed like a few days because he loved her so much. Man, he really, they're engaged for seven years. He's working hard for her dad. Just seemed like a few days. Then Jacob said to Laban, Hold on, another roadblock in this next phrase, all right? Give me my wife. I've completed what we agreed to do. I'm ready to consummate my marriage. All right, that sounds pretty harsh, like piece of meat type thing. I worked for, give me her. It's time to have sex, all right? Sounds pretty harsh. Think about it realistically. Like, this is an actual narrative. Think of a young man and a young woman, late teens, early 20s. He's worked seven years. He's late 20s, early 30s. Engaged for seven years, pure, both of them virgins. He's treated his, her family well. They've gone through whatever the customs of betrothal have been. He showed himself true. And now he's worked seven years. I don't know if they had an agreement seven years to the day or if it was just kind of seven years. But at the end of that, Jacob's like, I've done my part. And I've waited. And I've remained pure. And I've kept your daughter pure. I'd like to get married now, please. Stephanie and I, my wife and I, we do premarital counseling, and I do a few sessions, you know, on, on my own, but mostly we do it together whenever we can. And one of the things we inevitably talk to with um, uh, couples who want to remain pure before marriage is how on earth do you do that? And we always say this, if we interact with a couple who's been dating for a while, especially older, like the older you get, and they're not burning with desire, and it's not a problem to stay, <laughs> to keep from having sex before marriage. Something is wrong. Something's wrong. God designed us for that. This couple should want to do that. They should want to get married. They should want to consummate marriage. This is a really healthy thing. Jacob's not saying, she's my property, bring her here. This is my purpose for her. He's saying to his father-in-law, it's been seven years, man. <laughs> I love her. It seemed like a day. We have an agreement. It's time to get married. 
Verse 22. Laban invited everyone around and threw a big feast. At evening, though, <laughs> this is crazy. At evening, though, he got his daughter Leah, remember the older daughter? And brought her to the marriage bed. And Jacob slept with her. Laban gave his maid Zilpha to his daughter Leah as her maid. Morning came, there was Leah in the marriage bed. What? How did that happen? I can't wrap my head around how that happened. But here's a few theories uh, that come up whenever, you know, this particular passage. So there are marriage customs and rights. The fact that the father brings the daughter into the marriage room, to the marriage bed, we're not used to that, like in our culture, but definitely there are cultures where there's all sorts of stuff. Some Jewish uh, eras, they would gather outside and have a big, you know, party and feast as part of the whole week, and they would wait for the couple to go inside, consummate the marriage, and come back out for the wedding feast. How, how would you do that? Like, I've talked to lots of couples who, like, gather with their family the next morning for a brunch, and everyone's looking at them, and they're looking at them, and everybody knows what's happening. There's all sorts of cultural things we don't know what's going on. Secondly, their dark is not our dark, all right? We're not, we don't have darkness anywhere. I mean, unless you go way north and stuff like that. But it is dark and late at night, and it seems like they've had this party all day, and I don't know if he was a little bit tipsy, and the Bible always speaks against uh, getting drunk. It says, be wise with alcohol. We don't know what's going on. If he's tired, if it's dark, if there's some marriage thing, if she's wearing some sort of veil or something, you know, they're not permitted to talk. We, we don't know what's going on. But somehow, Jacob is tricked, and he wakes up the next morning. What would you do? What would you do? We can make movies off of this. Like, uh, like the equalizer, or what, like whatever, like he, you know, freaks out and, you know, <laughs> a man working for seven years, you could see the trailer, right? He kills the whole family and gains his crazy stuff Jacob could have done. He could have cast Leah aside and said nothing to me. He could have gone to Jacob, he could have beat him up, he could have burned the crops, he could have left. Like, that's it. See you later. But look what he did. Jacob confronted Laban. You think? Yeah. What have you done to me? Didn't I work all this time for the hand of Rachel? Why did you cheat me? Look at the integrity that Jacob shows. He's obviously angry, and rightfully so. And he goes and he says, What have you done to me? Like You've taken my honor. You've ruined my marriage. You've ruined my life. We had this, like, what? what did you do? But he listens. He confronts him, but listens. Like, what? could I possibly have been missing to wake up next to Leah? Laban simply says, verse 26, we don't do it that way in our country, said Laban. We don't marry off the younger daughter before the older. Enjoy your week of honeymoon, <laughs> and then we'll give you the other one also, but it will cost you another seven years of work. What a dirty scoundrel. And later on, we see he does the same types of things again. He seemed very honorable in the beginning. And so Jacob has this expectation. He goes and he listens. And Laban says, that's not our culture. That's not our custom. You should have known that. I can't give you the younger daughter. It was likely for Laban's sake with his neighbors and family that, you know, his honor to marry off the older daughter. We don't know what's going on there. But he simply says, that's not our custom. And he gives an honestly valid reason, although one he's twisted, used for himself. Verse 28. Jacob agreed. 
When he completed the honeymoon week, Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. Jacob then slept with her. And he loved Rachel more than Leah. Oh, there's a polygamy thing, right? Sister wives drama, right? He loved her because he chose her. But he kept Leah out of honor and respect. He worked for Laban another seven years. The real question we need to ask is, why did Jacob respond the way he did? Because I know how I would want to respond. I'm working seven years. If I chose the younger sister, if I, like, I would not be impressed. I don't think I'd be looking for a reason. I'm not sure I would accept, that's just the way we do it here. <laughs> Here's my other daughter if you work for me another seven years. Very unfair. Why did Jacob respond this way? I think there was a matter of understanding, a matter of integrity. It's a different culture. I think he's showing some great character there. But I think there's something deeper underneath. There's a few things that, if you know about Jacob, maybe you've forgotten at this point. And if you don't, I'll reveal to you. Jacob was the second of two twins. He's the younger of two twins. And when he was born to his mother, he came out grasping the heel of his brother Esau, who only minutes older. And they named Jacob because of that. The name Jacob means usurper, okay, supplanter. So kind of like, uh, you know, if Prince Harry, you know, got rid of William and took his status. And imagine what that would do. So they, they named him and gave him a character trait and identity from birth because this kid wanted to be first. He's not. He's grasping at the heel. Jacob means usurper and supplanter. Now, when Jacob was a little bit older, they had a cultural custom there, and probably in Laban's area, too, about a firstborn blessing. In fact, we see that throughout the narrative of the Bible. For Jesus to be the firstborn only son of God, that was a big deal. Uh, we don't hear it quite with the culture, but in that culture, the Jewish culture, the ancient culture, it's really important. The first son birthright and the blessing that you receive meant you take over the family business, your head over the family. There's great honor and responsibility. There's a greater amount of gifts. Think of the prodigal son, if you know that parable. What weighs into that was inheritance and older and younger brother and all these. It all factors in. And with Jacob being the younger, Jacob was also the favorite of his mother. So we're seeing with Laban and his daughters and all this, we're seeing some cultural stuff at play. We're seeing some favoritism at play. We're seeing this younger, older type stuff. Jacob being the younger twin was loved by his mother more. There's this generational thing that's passed down with favoritism and, and all that. And he would do the same with, uh, with his kids. And so his mother helps him steal the firstborn blessing birthright off of his brother Esau. And the reason that Jacob is actually in Midian in the first place isn't just to find a wife from his own clan, his own people. It's because he's fled from Esau. Because when he stole the firstborn blessing and birthright, which his father wouldn't take back and replant on Esau. For us, we might go, well, just like lift your hand and like say this prayer. We don't understand the importance of that. Isaac couldn't do that. It had been given. It was a great matter of respect and honor. Jacob was fleeing for his life. Esau was mad enough to kill him. So Jacob, listening to this reason, he's acted against the nature he left behind in his family of origin. 
He's living a new way with honor, with respect. He's working hard. He's being different than he's been in the past. He's built a new life. He's a new man. And suddenly he's on the receiving end of deceit and trickery. He understands what it is, how this favoritism thing works out. How using the excuse of a cultural thing to get what you want, which he's done with his mother, is now being used against him. I think he had this deep level of understanding of what it actually meant. And I think he extended to Laban and the whole family, especially Leah, who he could have dishonored and cast out, and she would have been done for for her whole life. Unmarriable. Not a virgin. Everyone would have known her life ruined. I think he was extending to that family the same treatment he hoped to get from his brother one day when he would see him again. And in fact, he got even better. Esau gave great reconciliation towards Jacob when they met later. So I think Jacob really understood what was going on. And we respond poorly or well to the expectations we have depending on whether we ask, ask questions, or whether we act on assumptions. And Jacob, instead of acting on assumptions, creating a great trailer and a movie and a wonderful story of revenge, <laughs> asked a question, gained a deep understanding, and continued on a good path with God. That God used him to be the father of Israel. God would change him, his name from supplanter, from Jacob, the usurper, to Israel. He changed his name, changed his identity, knew who he was. Everything really hinges at that moment where Jacob has that life-altering choice. And instead of acting on assumptions, he asks some questions. We all have expectations. Here's a few that you might recognize or maybe you have. Uh, that all extended family should come to the family reunion. And the people who don't come, they must not love the family. Uh, the adult son in the family should just know and come to come and fix his ailing parent's stuff without being asked. That's an expectation. I'm not saying these are good or bad. These are expectations. Uh, a good marriage looks like blank, so my spouse should just know that he or she needs to blank. All right? Uh, I'm the only one helping my mom, and my siblings know that, so they just don't care. If she really cared about me, <laughs> she would call, but she didn't, so she must not. If we're a good church, everyone would be friendly, everyone would be supportive, and support to me looks like blank, so they're not blank, so they must not be loving and supportive. We have these expectations inside that we place on others, that we expect everyone should know, because isn't it just natural? Don't people just know? Like, they just know. Like, we've got this family reunion, and family's important to everyone, and so-and-so didn't come, so they must not like us anymore. And so we're going to create some distance. And, and in 10 years, when we dig back, how come so-and-so doesn't come to the family stuff? Oh, you should say, they didn't come to this. And there's probably some other reason. We have these expectations that create distance. But if we can learn to ask questions instead of act on assumptions, we can bridge that gap so we relate well or we play well with others. So when we look at the principles that come from this story from Jacob, when we look at a couple other principles from Emotionally Healthy Relationship Course, this past week we looked at two skills. 
uh, stop mind reading and clarify expectations, when we take those two skills and when we look at the reality that this is all built off the Ten Commandments. Don't base your life on a lie. Don't bear false witness about someone else. Don't harbor in your heart an assumption or false story about someone that you didn't ask for the truth and then act, behave, and make character judgments against another person. When we put all that together, the way I state it is ask questions instead of acting on assumptions. In fact, Jacob did that. He went right away. Right away. There's, there's a verse in Ephesians. Uh, and don't sin by letting your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Uh, Jacob was angry, rightfully so. Absolutely. But he didn't let sin control his anger. He expressed it in a healthy way. He confronted Laban that day, that moment. He didn't let distance grow. He didn't let a, an assumption or a story stew and grow so that their relationship was ruined forever. Instead, he went right away. So what I want to encourage you to do today, if you have unmet expectations, I want to encourage you first to ask questions and then uh, to make sure you're not acting on assumptions. And there's a skill they teach in the Emotionally Healthy uh, Relationship course that is an acrostic. And I just say CARS, C-A-R-S. If you can remember that, if you can remember CARS, you can remember this. And what it is is four questions you can ask yourself to see if your expectations are valid or not. Because we all, have, we all have expectations, all of us. So the first one is, is this expectation conscious? So what I want to do is take the expectations in this biblical narrative and ask questions about them as if we were in them. So let's just take one expectation. The expectation that Jacob had to work for seven years and have Rachel as his wife. That, that was an expectation he had. He had the expectation that if he worked seven years... Rachel will be his wife. Let's see if that was a valid expectation or not. Conscious. That's the first one. C. Was it a conscious expectation? Was he aware of it? Absolutely. He knew it. It wasn't sitting kind of under, underneath like that Christmas gift thing that you didn't realize you had a high value and expectation that people give you an equal gift until you get a mug for a $100 gift card. So we know that we need these things uh, sorted out in our hearts. Conscious. Is it conscious? Yeah, of course it was. He was conscious of it. Laban was conscious of it. Everybody knew the expectation. Secondly, was it agreed upon? Was it agreed upon? Did they agree on this? An expectation is only valid if it's agreed upon. Doesn't matter if it's reasonable and realistic. We're going to get to that in our... If it's not agreed upon, you can't hold the other person to it. Even if it's reasonable, you can look at all the evidence and say, well, you <laughs> said makes sense you should have done this. Everybody knew. You have to agree upon it, or it's not a valid expectation. Yeah, it was for sure agreed upon. Jacob and Laban, they agreed upon this thing. They talked about it. They had a contract. This was worked out. This was within their culture, part of the dowry, part of the marriage, part of the betrothal process. They worked it out. Everyone knew it. It was agreed upon. Third, realistic or reasonable? Is it a realistic expectation? If you have this expectation for another person, is, is, does it make sense that they would have it in them, uh, something reasonable, to do that thing? Should they? Could they? Like, or is it just unreasonable? Like sometimes we have expectations that really are just like hopes and dreams. I hope this will happen, but it's probably not realistic for someone to change their behavior overnight in one day because you've gone to a seminar or conference. Or you go for two counseling sessions and and you, your child isn't fixed or your spouse isn't fixed. That's, that's an unrealistic 
expectation. So is it reasonable, realistic? Absolutely. (laughs) That expectation for Jacob to work seven years to have Rachel as his wife, there's nothing stopping, and it's not too hard. It's reasonable. And fourth, is it spoken? Is it a spoken? Did they, and not only in my heart am I conscious of it, did I speak it? That's part of the agreed upon thing. Like, have I worked it out? Have we talked about it? Have we communicated? Is it spoken? So what Jacob did is he went and asked questions of Laban. What I want to encourage you to do is to ask questions instead of acting on assumptions. And I want you to do two, or at least what's healthy, is two rounds of questioning. First of yourself, that cars thing. Is it conscious? Is it agreed upon? Is it realistic, reasonable? Is it spoken? Do those things first in your heart. And if you determine it's a valid expectation, then go to the person who it's unmet with and have a conversation. And you start the conversation not with, why didn't you? How could you? You've done this thing to me. Like, why? I'm puzzled. I wonder. Like, what, what am I missing here? Because that will bring relationships together. So I want to do something with you today that is going to... <laughs> It's going to put me in a really bad light. So I, I ask your permission, and everyone's like, what's going on? This past week, I have a great example of this, and I asked Stephanie uh, for permission to do this. And what I want to do is go through a, an experience in my week uh, in the same way we took Jacob's expectation and ran it through this cars thing. And I'll run through a cars thing in my life to see if the expectation I had on Stephanie was reasonable or not. Everyone's so tense. You're like, what's he going to say? I've talked it through with Stephanie. It's all good. And she does not look bad in this at all. I do or else I wouldn't say it. All right? So uh, one of our days off last week, we had a bunch of errands to run. And three particular ones... Um, uh, were returning a shirt she had ordered online to a physical store, because you can do that, uh, picking up a chicken for a meal. This is so random. And then meeting friends for coffee. Great. Now, when I wake up on a day off, I say out of my mouth, and it's Stephanie's most hated question, I know not to ask it, what's the plan? Like, I want to plan the day out and, like, organize things, and, like, let's, let's get on this, let's get to this. And Stephanie's like, I don't want to plan. Let's just, like figure it out. Let's, you know, we're very different that way. But as we got talking about the day, uh, I, I asked some questions. Okay, we return this shirt. Where does it need to go? Well, there's stores in either one of the malls. Okay, good. We'll go to one of the malls. Perfect. We're looking forward to spending time together hanging out. Okay, chicken. You, you looked on the, the flyer app and you found a good price for chicken. Where are we going? Well, it's at a store we've never been to, but it's located near one of the malls. Great, wonderful, in my mind, the plans start to come together. I'm going, okay, great. And we're meeting these friends at a particular time, at a particular place, that's close as well. So rather than going to the kind of this one mall and then driving back here for these two things and taking a whole day to do that back and forth, I said, why don't we just go a little bit early for our coffee and we'll hit these two stores and we'll buy the stuff. It's cold enough. We can keep this chicken in our van and we'll go have coffee. It'll be great. Great, wonderful, excellent, great. So we get to the mall 60 minutes, or about 90 minutes early, so we can have lots of time. We can wander around the mall, return the shirt, go to the store, buy the chicken, all this kind of stuff. Great stuff, no problem. We get into the mall, and we're starting to walk where this store was, and we didn't see it, and we're like, oh, if you've been to some of the malls, they've got, like, stores are moving and all sorts of stuff. So we're like, ah, they probably move, wander around. Can't find it. Go to the directory, punch it in. Can't find a directory. I look it up on my phone. One location in Kitchener, 
in the other mall. What are you going to do? Big deal. I said, like, oh, whatever. So we walked around, fine. Went over to the store. We'd never been to the grocery store. We'd never been to. And went up to the bin full of chickens. And instead of finding a chicken, we found chicken. Okay? So we didn't find chickens. We found chicken. And, and I was... I was starting to get irritated, and I was getting saucy and sarcastic and irritable. I'm like, man, because what's running through my head is like, we don't have enough time to go on well, these other places. We have to, you know, meet this couple at this certain time, and, and now I have to take a whole other day, and why didn't she just look this up? Like, how hard is it to figure out there's no location and that these chickens are tiny? Right? So what's my expectation? That if she would have planned ahead in the way that I plan ahead, would have fixed all these problems. Let's run that one through. All right. That's my expectation. Conscious. Was I conscious of my expectation? Only when I started to get irritated, then I was like, hey, did you check this first? Like, you know, would have saved us a lot. I didn't say it like that. I was grumpy and mean. So I didn't even know I had this expectation. So no. I wasn't conscious. She became conscious of it. Was it agreed upon? No. I try and agree upon things when I say, let's plan our day and let's... There wasn't any agreement. I plan my stuff my way because I think if you plan ahead, you'll fix everything and it'll all work out. I'll get back to that in a minute. Not agreed upon. Okay. Realistic. Reasonable. Was it realistic or reasonable? for me to expect that she would look up and confirm the hours and the location and know what size chickens are at this store. Right. Yes, someone says yes. No, it's not. <laughs> Do you know why? Because we've shopped, she shopped at that store so many times. We haven't been there since about early fall or summer. Years and years and years. There's no reason why that store wouldn't be there. So not, neither one of us thought of it, even though I blamed her. And we'd never been to that store for that chicken. And looking at the flyer, they advertised chickens. And their bin had chickens, <laughs> right? And it wasn't like these were like the, the, the runts and like everyone took the good ones. That's, that's what they were selling. So false advertising. So was it reasonable for me to have this expectation that if you plan ahead, you're going to fix it all? No, not at all. I mean, it, I still had the irritation of like, you know, we're going to have to go somewhere else. That's reasonable. You show up somewhere, things aren't the way you thought, the store's not there, you're irritated. That's okay. But to be irritated that she didn't plan in the way I did and was it spoken. Eventually it was spoken. <laughs> but it wasn't fair and it wasn't right. That's just a simple thing about foolish things, like a shirt and a chicken, right? Caused a fight. And it was my fault. And I was irritable. And by the time we went and met with our friends, we had a great time, and I came out, and I said, like, I don't know what's going on in my heart. I don't know why I got so irritated by that. I don't know. I don't, it's clearly something. This is my thing. This is not your thing. This is me, not you. I should have been more understanding. It's irritating that we have to go for a drive at some other day, but this is not your fault, even though I blamed you. Unrealistic, unconscious, unspoken, expectation on my part to Stephanie. And what did it do? It ruined a perfectly good night where we could just hung out and had a good laugh. Instead, I was a jerk, and we ended up going out with friends, and that 
time laughing and kind of getting perspective, kind of save the night. Think about actual stuff in your life, not shirts and chickens, and how they get in, in between you and a family member, you and a coworker, you and a sibling, a child, people. And how it causes distance because we don't ask questions and because we have these unmet expectations, we just assume others will do because I'm right, you're wrong, this is my narrative. We really got to pay attention to this stuff. And if Jacob wouldn't have asked questions and would have acted on assumptions, think of the ruin he could have brought. I mean, he could have been cast out from the family, ruin his life, wreck all sorts of stuff. It's really important that we first ask ourselves this cars thing. Is this a valid expectation? And if so, and it's still unmet, then go and ask the question. I'm puzzled about this. I wonder, like, why? Why didn't you come to the family reunion? Why do you expect me to care for mom when you guys can too? What, like, what's going on here? So that we don't have distance and live in this pretend world of anger and revenge and... They didn't do this because they hate me. You know, she didn't check the chicken because the best example of this is if you uh, know the movie Christmas Story, and uh, the woman breaks his lamp, and he's angry, and all he can say is, "You used all the glue on purpose," and she didn't use all the glue on purpose. She didn't know. Well, she she did break the lamp on purpose, but she didn't know when she was using glue last that she'd use it all up, and he would need it. All these expectations. So I encourage you, when you have an unmet expectation, think of Jacob and Rachel. Think of how he responded in this heartbreaking, horrible unmet expectation. The good that came of it. Because he asked questions instead of acted on assumptions. And may you be able to see that out with relationship after relationship after relationship so we can relate and play well with others. Let's pray. Father, thanks that we can have some fun at my expense. And... Um